Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, again, we are glad that you're here with us and that you've gathered with us for worship online. And we're excited about what God's doing here at City Church, in and through our church family. And it's just been amazing to see God's faithfulness during this season. Now, this morning, I'm going to be doing the second part of a two-part sermon topic that is really involved with this entire home series. Now, to be clear, we have a definitive purpose for this home series, and it is this that during the instability and concern of this COVID-19 crisis, you will find through a biblical approach to home, your soul is nurtured and your faith is strengthened so that you can live life well. Now, this morning's sermon, as I've already mentioned, is kind of part two of the two-part kind of heading under home that's entitled Heaven. And so during this season, when people have been thinking about their own mortality, when death rates kind of fill the news each and every day, a lot of people have wondered, what does the Bible say about heaven? And oftentimes you will hear someone say, if someone passes away, they'll say, well, that person went home to be with the Lord. You may have also heard people say that heaven is our home. So with all of that in mind, I felt called to go into this two-part sermon topic under the heading of home entitled Heaven. Now, before I get into the meat of this sermon, I think it's extremely important that we have a very brief recap of what we've learned up until this point. Now, as part of that rehab or recap, what we know is this, is that God has a home That was the first sermon that I preached in this series. The understanding was, was that in the Older Testament, we took a look at Genesis chapter one through three. And in doing so, we learned that there is a way to read the creation story in Genesis one through three, where not only is God creating the world, but God is actually building a temple for himself. What we also learned during that that sermon was that in the center of God's good and wonderful creation was a garden. That garden is called, as you know, the Garden of Eden. And the question always is, when a temple is built, what do you put in the most holy space of that temple? What do you put in the middle? So if you worship Zeus, you put Zeus there in the ancient world. If you worship Nike, you'd put Nike there in the middle of the temple. But what do we discover in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 3, what does God put in the middle of his temple, his holy place in the Garden of Eden? Well, if you were building a building, you would put the image of the God. God, by his incredible wisdom, puts Adam and Eve in the center of the garden. And we know biblically that they are created in the image of God, just like every single human being since then. And so as we think about this, and we reflect upon the idea of what God has done, he built this temple in Genesis 1 and 3. Now the other thing that we discover in that sermon, 
is that humankind created in the image of God is to reflect God in the world, but to also bring glory and praise and honor to God. But what we also discovered was that in the garden, there was an event known as the fall. And in the fall, we discover that there was a tree in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan, the deceiver, he shows up in the midst of the garden and comes to Adam and Eve and says two things. First of all, Adam and Eve, why don't you become like God? In other words, be your own God. And the second thing that the deceiver said to them was this, you won't die. Well, per usual, whenever the enemy of our soul speaks, it's always in half-truths. And what we discover is, is that when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that death enters into their bodies, ripples through them, in and through all of creation. And we discovered that biblically, death is not just something that attacks the physical body. It does. But death goes way beyond that. What we discovered is this, is that death is the denial of all and is in opposition to all of God's good in the world. So death ultimately is a force in the world and it opposes God's best at every single turn. We also learned that in the fall, death, dysfunction, disease, the curse, pain, and suffering entered the world. In another sermon, we learned the following, that the temple is the place where God intersects with heaven and earth. In Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, the ancient Israelites were called by God to build a temple, and they did. And in that temple was the Holy of Holies. And God's presence came down from heaven and was dwelling here on earth. In other words, heaven and earth had intersected in the temple. And then we discovered an incredible truth. And it's this, is that when you say yes to following Jesus, when I said yes to following Jesus, I now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence now dwells in us. And we become these image bearers of Jesus into the world. The other thing that we learned last week in heaven part one was this. And this is so important. That you do not have to wait until you die to get heaven. Because we learned in the gospel of Matthew that Jesus came into the world and he ushered in the kingdom of heaven. And once you follow him and you put your faith, hope, and trust in him, you don't wait until you die to get heaven. Heaven is available to us now. The other thing that we learned was that Jesus promised people that when they died, they would be with him immediately. In John chapter 14, we discovered that Jesus said to his disciples in order to bring them comfort that when he exited, that he was going to go and prepare a place for them. And in preparing a place for them, he would come back and receive them to himself. That, by the way, is the language of engagement during Jesus' time. That if, when I was engaged to my wife, Fran, what I would have done is approached her and said, Fran, I'm going to go to my father's house. 
I'm going to prepare a room. I'm going to build an addition on dad's house, and then you will come and be with me. It was the clearest announcement of relational commitment in Jesus' culture. But what we discovered about that was, was that that arrangement was temporary. And when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, you will be with me today in paradise, paradise was a temporary holding place. So what we learned is, is when people die, when they pass away in Jesus, they actually are not in heaven. They are in a place called paradise. It's a temporary place, but yes, they are with Jesus. So the question has to be, and this is part two in this sermon series on heaven is, what does the Bible say happens when you die, and what does it say about heaven? What I want to do is answer these two questions even more deeply this Sunday. But before I do, I want to kind of bring us a bit of a warning. And a warning is this, that when we talk about heaven and we say, what does the Bible say about heaven? What's stunning is that the biblical writers don't like to jump right there. Let me give you an example from my own life that I think will help you to understand. About a dozen years ago, I enrolled in a doctoral program that I completed about five years ago, and the doctoral program was in leadership. I gathered together with a cohort of doctoral students. We were there in front of our first professor. And I'll never forget this. All of us were looking at the faculty and basically saying this, teach us about leadership systems. Teach us the leadership tools so that we can lead an organization to success. That's what we were asking for. But here's what was stunning to me. For the first year to year and a half in that doctoral program, here's what I discovered. The faculty didn't want to talk about systems theory. They didn't want to talk to us about leadership paradigms and leadership models. What they wanted to talk to us about was us. They asked us these questions. Why do you want a doctorate in leadership? What is motivating you to lead? And I can remember sitting there for the first couple of months being very frustrated. I wanted the models, I wanted the systems theories, and yet each one of the faculty that stood in front of us wanted to talk to us about us, and more importantly, the process that we were going through in this doctoral program. And here's what they began to teach us. And it was so key for me to catch this. They said, Pete, what matters in the journey is what happens to you in this doctoral program, not so much about all the systems theories and all of the things that we teach that are more mechanical. After about a year of listening to that, I kind of stepped back and began to think about it. And I realized that they were right. That just having the tools and knowing the systems isn't what makes a person a leader. It's what you learn about yourself, what God builds into you in the midst of becoming a leader. Now, I share that example because that's exactly how all of the Newer Testament writers handle heaven. We just want to get to the end. Tell me what heaven is like. Tell me what it looks like. Tell me. And all of the Newer Testament writers don't allow anyone to jump there. All of the New Testament writers come to us when they speak of heaven and they speak 
of something that's very different, and their point to be made is what the faculty was trying to teach me. What happens to you during the journey is what matters. That's actually the most important thing. So with that in mind, I want to jump in again to what does the Bible say about heaven, and what does the Bible say about when we die? We're going to begin by looking at the verse that we ended on last Sunday, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The title for this chapter, or this section of scripture, is Awaiting the New Body. That's kind of stunning, because we discover that the Apostle Paul in chapter 5 verse 1, as we get ready to read, he mentions heaven, but he just mentions it briefly. What Paul wants to talk about has something to do with our physical bodies. So 2 Corinthians 5.1 says this, for we know that we live, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. So we know Paul's talking about heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found to be naked. For while we are in this tent, so Paul's talking about our physical human bodies. He calls them a tent. He said, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, in other words, Paul's talking about the physical body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and with the Lord. Now again, we're going to answer those questions about what happens when you die, and specifically, what is heaven like? But it is important for us to submit ourselves to what all of the Newer Testament writers want to talk about in conjunction with heaven. And it's this. It's that our bodies are the key thing that all New Testament writers look at when they speak of heaven. Now, what Paul tells us here is exciting. He gives us this promise. Away from this body, you're instantly with the Lord. That's the promise Jesus gave to the thief on the cross and the same promise he gave his disciples when he was leaving. So the apostle Paul carries forward what Jesus taught about what happens right after we die. The other thing that the apostle Paul mentions is key for us to understand. He says that while we are in these tents, these earthly bodies, we groan because there's something in us that tells us that this is not how things should be. That there's a sense in us that there's this other reality, that there's something else and that we are fashioned for that. But while we're here in the body, we're groaning because it's not how we know it should be. There's something in us that tells us that. The other thing that the Apostle Paul tells us is that God has placed his spirit in you and in me. 
And that spirit is a deposit. Picture it as an engagement ring. It's a guarantee of what is to come. God has placed his spirit within us to do that. And again, as we follow into the biblical record, we discover what the Bible says about heaven. The next verse I want us to look at quickly is Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, Paul's talking about citizenship in heaven. So there's the heaven topic again. But here's what Paul talks about. But our citizenship is in heaven. That seems odd. I'm living here on earth, but my citizenship is there. In other words, what Paul is saying is is that in Jesus, we are secured about where we are actually going to end up. But notice what he talks about. Paul doesn't go into some incredible description of heaven. He says, guys and gals, our, our citizenship is actually there. But instead of a description of heaven, he talks about the following. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, what will he do? Take us to heaven? What will he do? What? Here's what Paul says. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Again, when Paul's talking about heaven, when other Newer Testament writers talk about heaven, they're always talking about these physical bodies that we have here and now. And what Paul's promise is in Philippians chapter 3 is that one day Pete Hartwig's body will literally be transformed and I will receive a body like Jesus's, like Christ's body that he had after the resurrection. Now as we look at more verses on heaven, we discover why. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58, here's what the apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Here's what he says. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. In other words, this physical body that I have right now is not allowed in heaven. It's not allowed to go there. Why? Reading on it says, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. There's that transformation again of the physical body. Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? For the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. What do we learn? That every time a Newer Testament writer talks about heaven, what they talk about most is the transformation of our physical bodies. And the Apostle Paul tells us why. This physical body can't go to heaven. And the reason why is heaven is a place that's totally pure. Everything there is life. And this body is mortal. This body is corrupted. This body, because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, has death in it. Therefore, it's not allowed in. So what Paul says is, Paul says there will come a day when all who have died in faith and all who are alive in faith, the dead will rise first. And in that moment, all who have faith in Jesus, in a blink of an eye, our bodies will be transformed into bodies that are uncorruptible, bodies that are immortal, bodies just like the body that Jesus had when he was resurrected from the dead. Now you have to understand what Paul is saying. He does not say that you getting to heaven is the ultimate victory. What's totally clear in the Newer Testament that the ultimate victory over death, that force that is in the world that brings physical death to your body, but spiritual death and the opposing force to all of God's goodness in the entire world, that the ultimate victory over that is this. The resurrection of your body and mine. The physical resurrection of our body from the dead, from death, will be the ultimate victory in the mind of Jesus, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, and in the mind of God. That is key to understand. Paul is excited about your resurrection and mine. Notice when he talks about heaven, almost all he wants to talk about is your bodily resurrection and mine. Now, why is this so key? It's key because Easter changed everything. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and his physical body was resurrected, it meant that a new kind of life is guaranteed. The reason why this is so important is all the Jews believed, or many believed, in the resurrection, especially the Pharisees, of which Paul was one. They believed that the resurrection would happen at the end of time. On that day, the dead would be raised to new life. But when Jesus was resurrected 2,000 years ago, in the middle of history, instead of at the end, when the Messiah was raised to do life in the middle of history instead of at the end, that changes everything. And now the Apostle Paul wants us to know, and the Newer Testament writers want us to know, that it is about the bodily resurrection from the dead of everyone who's put their faith, hope, and trust in God. That is the ultimate victory in Paul's mind, and in the mind of Jesus. Now that we've covered that, 
And again, I'm sure some of us are like I was in grad school. I wanted to get to the systems and the leadership paradigms and models, and yet for a year to a year and a half, I had to sit there and listen to faculty talk about me and my journey, and that matters the most. Remember again, no matter what you learn about heaven next, it is ultimately about the resurrection of your body and my body that is the ultimate victory over death. Now, what does the Bible say about heaven? Well, Revelation chapter 21, beginning at the beginning of that chapter, tells us the following. I want you to carefully see what it says. John the Revelator, writing about heaven, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy, holy city, the new Jerusalem, and coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will be with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who's seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. This text is telling us something that is absolutely incredible. What this text is telling us is that in the end, when God takes and actually takes the earth as we know it and the heaven as we know it, it says that they, through God's authority, will actually pass away. And what he will then do is there's a new heaven and a new earth and they will actually come together as one. There will never again be any separation between God and his people. They will be his people. He will be their God. And everything will be exactly as how God had intended it to be. That's why you and I need a resurrected body. It's going to be a unique place where there's no death, there's no dysfunction, and so any body that had mortality in it can't go there. Therefore, the resurrection is so important and so key. Another scripture that's so neat to read about what heaven will be like, Revelation 21, 22 through 25. Here's what John the Revelator tells us. He said this, at the end of the chapter where we just began reading. He says something stunning. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On, on no day will its gates ever be shut and there will be no night there. I want you to notice what John notices, that he looks at this new city. He looks at this new reality where heaven and earth comes together and what stuns him is there's no temple. 
There's no temple there. Why? Because God is now actually one with his people. Then we look for the final vision of heaven, which is found in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Here's what we find. John the Revelator tells us, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of that city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. That tree that was in the Garden of Eden now appears in heaven, and it's literally so huge and so fruitful, it is straddling the river of life. And it says the tree of life is bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And if the leaves bring healing, can you even imagine what the fruit will do? Reading on, verse 3, it says, No longer will be there any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. You probably noticed that at the heading of this chapter was these, this phrase, Eden restored. What we are reading is Revelation chapter 22. It's an incredible picture of heaven. But please know clearly that God's vision of heaven is that the disaster of the Garden of Eden has now been completely restored. It's been completely made new. And all of the stuff that came out of the Garden of Eden has now been removed, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. I want you to notice one quick thing, too. is two times we've read in both passages there will be no more night. No more night. And the reason for that is here. First of all, you won't need to be restored. Night is when restoration happens to your soul. In the new heaven, in the new earth, in the combining of those two, you will never grow tired. The other reason why there won't be any night is night is the seedbed of evil. In Jewish theology, it is forever gone. But I want us to be clear that the lamp of the city, that the light of the city is Jesus, the Lamb of God. But I want us to notice something else. There's a tree that's missing. And the tree that is missing is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because God's people in resurrected bodies, are now one with him. There will be zero opportunity, zero chance for anyone to drift away from God's best. So as we close out this sermon, how do we put feet to our faith? Here's how we put feet to our faith. It is as simple as simple can be. You and I follow Jesus. That's what we do. When we think about heaven, we follow Jesus because it's his resurrection that gives us hope. 
He is the lamp of the city where we're going to be going to spend all eternity with him. So following Jesus is the thing that we do to put feet to our faith. And as we close out this sermon, I want to give you one final parting thought. And that parting thought is actually brought to us from C.S. Lewis. And here's what C.S. Lewis said. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. The scriptures tell us that you and I will be resurrected from the dead and therein lies the hope and the victory over death.